Blog Talk Radio. This is the Back Porch Writer Podcast, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. It's live, fun, and informative. Each week, I chat with writers, editors, and industry pros to give you and me a heads up about this whole new awesome publishing world. Back Porch Writer is about creating the life that you want through writing and publishing. Are you ready to tap submit? Let's explore the possibilities together. Welcome to Back Porch Writer. Welcome to Back Porch Writer, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. I'm your host, Corey Miller, and today is March 16, 2017. And it is a fabulous day out here in, a, well, near Fremont, Nebraska. It got up into the 60s or something like that. It was quite nice. So I started the day with my long down coat and then pretty much ended the day with not having to wear my long down coat. So that's cool, right? That's pretty nice. I need to give a shout out to my mom. Her birthday is tomorrow. So happy birthday, mom. You know, it's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. I love celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Usually do a quiet thing, but tomorrow we're actually having some friends over. So I'm getting things prepared for that and decided on a menu. I'm very excited about what I decided, what I chose to make or what I'm going to make. Found a recipe for this cake that I think is going to be fabulous. Um, it's a Bailey's Irish cream cake. I can't wait to make that and see what that's all about. I think that'll be quite tasty. So that's one of the things that I'm definitely going to be doing. And a chocolate fountain. We're doing a chocolate fountain tomorrow. Um, and yes, I'm talking about desserts. There's going to be other food there. There'll be, you know, real food. <laughs> but the desserts are important, right? So anyway, should be a lot of fun. Busy, busy weekend. We're even going to like the circus and we might go to a play on Sunday. So this is a busy weekend. And I have an assignment that I need to get in today, tonight, it is due. And so I've worked on that, but I haven't typed all up yet. So right after this, I'll be doing that. <laughs> so that's my schedule. I hope you're having not such a crazy busy day like I've been having today. I did substitute teach today, but I didn't end up teaching. I arrived at my assignment and there was a student teacher. And so I had the opportunity to observe a student teacher today. And that was actually a lot of fun to be able to do that. So I'm not used to sitting if I'm going to substitute teach, I'm not used to sitting because I'm usually standing to teach, right? So that was that was an interesting experience, but he did a great job and he was fun to watch. And I'm going to have an opportunity to watch him again in April. So I'm looking forward to that. He's got a lot of energy. You know, he's almost ready to graduate and he's just, yes, I want to do this. And he's teaching seventh through 12th grade is his endorsement. So nice man. And I'm looking forward to see what he does in April. Now, today I have a guest on named Joshua Robertson, and he and I have chit-chatted in emails back and forth, and this is the first time we've had an opportunity to actually get him scheduled on the show. I don't know why it took us so long to get to this point, but it just did. Um, he's involved with the Brain to Book Cyber Convention, which is why we're doing a show today on a Thursday. He's involved with that, and he may bring that up. I don't know, but he is a best-selling author uh, in Dark Fantasy. Um, I have a string of Dark Fantasy people on the show. I just realized that. Well, he writes our fantasy, and he's going to come on and tell us all about what he writes and what he does. Um, he's got an interesting background. Joshua, welcome to Back Porch Writer. Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me. I'm glad it you could be like here. A, sounds like you're going to deserve that cake tomorrow after the long day that you've had. It's been a long day, but that cake I think is going to be awesome. I've never made it. <laughs> I think it's going to be awesome. I usually make chocolate cake, and this is not a chocolate cake. So this should be interesting it, for me. It sounds delicious. I, well, you know, 
you can't go wrong. <laughs> you know, and the Bailey's um, flavoring, I just like that sort of flavor. I thought that'll be good. That, that'll be tasty. But at any rate, we're not here to talk about cakes and desserts as much as I love to talk about that. We're here to talk about dark fantasy. So um, that's what you write. Why do you write that? Yeah. Um, so I started writing um, fantasy, of course, a number of years back. And uh, it, it's interesting because I get different um, responses from readers who have read my book. Some put it in the dark fantasy category. Others put it in the epic fantasy, high fantasy category. And oftentimes it depends on which reader is experiencing the book and what they pull out of it and where they categorize it at. Uh, the reason that I've categorized it in dark fantasy primarily is because a lot of the topics that I address in the book um, kind of slide onto the, the darker side of the human psyche uh, in terms of just very graphic battle scenes. Um, I, I think I've heard this in one of your podcasts before, but you know, sometimes there's the dealing with torture or with rape um, or with some of those things. But I don't like to get really graphic into some of those. I just like to essentially give paint the illusion and let the reader paint the rest of the picture. Mm-hmm. But why? What, what's making you or drawing you to this type of writing and those subjects? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that probably part of it plays into uh, my own background. I'm a licensed master social worker. I have minors in psychology and sociology, and I've worked in uh, social services for almost a decade and a half uh, with children and families, and I've seen a lot of uh, pretty horrific things that have happened um, in people's lives. And I, I think that dark fantasy um, really gave me a way to I don't know, express myself and, and find an outlet for that that was healthy for me. That's really interesting because I would think if I were in that field, I would go the complete opposite direction of that. And I would want to write happier sort of stories. You, you know, know, I think I've, I've actually heard that from folks before. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I haven't oftentimes seen uh, the, 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 um, Ponies and rainbows and butterflies at the end of stories has oftentimes been a little bit more of the darker side. So I like to add some, I guess, realism and grit into it uh, and, and lace that with some hard lessons in life that leave the reader thinking at the end of it about what they may do in their own life so they don't experience the same thing. But there are, there are happy mm-hmm. things that happen in my stories, too. It's not all dark. <laughs> all right. So tell everybody you have a series. So tell everybody about the series that you have, and I know you were doing a release, if I recall, yesterday. Yes, yeah. Right? Um, I, yeah. I just finished up the third book in my series called The Calendar Series um, in my Thrice Nine Legends saga. Uh, my, my books are interesting because uh, they're kind of put together like Dragonlance, where there's series and standalone novels and um, an array of different books within the same world, uh, which I call the Thrice Nine Legends saga. But within that, the, the Calendar Series, I just finished up this week and had the release on Wednesday. Um, but those uh, books follow a um, young creature, we'll, we'll call him, he kind of looks like a, the mix between a demon and a goblin, uh, but he's called a cross in my book. It's based out of Slavic mythology. And um, he's a slave underneath the highborn, which are these men that have magical powers. And it's his quest to save the world tree from destruction is what the entire series follows. The world so kind of an, tree. Yeah, tree. The world tree. Okay. Okay. What's that all about? Because now I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh, so there's a in, 
which you see this in a lot of different cultures. Most of my books are all based out of Slavic mythology, so it's much different than the medieval European stuff that you see in typical fantasy stories. Uh, mine have very unique races, very unique monsters, um, a unique magic system. It's something that you're not going to find in other fantasy stories. Uh, but in Slavic mythology, they have what's called the ash tree, uh, which is much like the world tree as we would know it. And this ash tree stretches from the land of the dead to the land of the living, and it um, essentially births life and allows people to live on the planet. And uh, certain events occur um, where the, it starts to die, and the demons come onto the plant, onto the living world to destroy it the rest of the way, so that um, they have a place to essentially live. I don't know if I'm making sense there. Maybe I need to start that again. <laughs> no, that made sense. I was following that. That made sense to me. <laughs> That's really interesting. So how much time do you spend researching? Um, I probably spend more time researching than I do writing, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm a big planner when it comes to writing. So I'll spend usually three or four weeks outlining all of my chapters, outlining information, looking back at the time period that I want to write about, um, figuring out those little nuances um, that really make the story come to life. And then I sit down to write. You know, this is, I think, one of the interesting things. You're writing fiction, you're writing dark fantasy, and this is just, yes. you know, this is all made up stuff. And yet, I think people, audience members, would be surprised to hear how much research actually goes into something like that. And that you can't oh, actually just make it all up. <laughs> well, maybe that's one of the reasons that dark fantasy really um, appeals to me, is that when I think of dark fantasy, I think of something that's very realistic and very gritty. It, it brings out realism in fantasy and makes you really face um, some hard truths, like I said before. And so I mm-hmm. I want, even though you have magic and you have fantasy creatures, you want to have it be in a way that, you know, nerds can sit back and kind of marvel at it and say, you know what, there's a lot of very real things that happen there as well. Some kind of the reason that we like playing Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know if you're a player or not. But, you know, people like Dungeons & Dragons, we like it because it's a mix of that fantasy with that realism. Um, but the horse can only travel so far during a day, but at the same time I'm casting fireballs from its back. <laughs> I haven't done D&D since I was a teenager <laughs> It's been a long time Since I was a teenager Which is, you know, and it's sad Because I feel in some respects that I you know, I, I actually really was drawn to some of that stuff As a young person But then I just lost that as I got older I don't know why I, don't know, I have no idea how that happened um, But it did and in some respects, that's sort of sad because there's that fantasy world is kind of interesting and fun to get involved in. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, but some of us never lose it, and clearly you didn't, so you're still doing it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still, I still very much hold that at heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I read another thing that you have is um, Crimson Edge Press, and yeah. so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so Crimson Edge uh, Press is a small publishing company that I started up um, several years ago before I released my first novel. Um, it was initially um, started with the idea that I was going to use myself as a guinea pig to see what worked and what didn't work um, in the publishing world. As we know, those things kind of change all the time in terms of the nuances about what works and doesn't. So I spent the first year publishing my own stuff and seeing um, how effective some of the things I'd read about would actually be in terms of self-publishing and and getting my name out there. And once I was successful with that, then I started bringing on more authors on board, but we have a small team. Um, 
we actually have submissions closed right now um, as our publication line is full. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun with it. It's been open for about three years now, and we have a handful of authors that we publish uh, their fantasy works um, or horror works. We do fantasy, horror, dystopian, and historical fiction. What do you do for authors versus what do you not do? You know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of talks about this over the um, past several months with different authors about what a small press offers. And uh, foremost, I think that any author that gets signed up with a small press, they have to recognize that there's a certain amount of effort they have to put into connecting with their fans and helping market their own works. We even see that with the big five where authors have to be out there and be involved because fans, let's be honest, readers don't often want to hear from the press um, or, or a PA. They, they want to hear from the author themselves. Um, but as a small press, the things that we offer um, is we do the book design, we do the formatting, we do developmental edit, proofreading, copy editing. Um, so the whole editorial process we go through on our own. Uh, we also do um, a lot of the marketing in terms of pushing books out there helping them be seen, setting up um, release parties, uh, getting release packets put together, blog tours we set up for them. Uh, there's a number of different things on that end, but I think the most effective thing that we do for our authors is we teach them how to promote themselves as an author, um, how to build their fan base, how to build their newsletter, how to really have a solidified platform to connect with readers so that if ever they were to get a better deal outside of our company, or decide to go solo on their own, they're firmly established in the writing field. And maybe that should be said as well. With Crimson Edge, we, we've always kind of seen it as being a company where we're a stepping stone for authors to go to bigger and better things. We have a small team, so we, we don't expect to ever be a giant um, publishing house. Now, you mentioned you help with developmental edits and, and things of that nature. What's the background of the people that you have as part of your team that qualifies them to do those sorts of things? Sure. Um, our top editor, um, who, who does our acquisitions and a lot of our developmental work, um, has his master's, um, I wish I could tell you the exact same thing. I want to say it's in um, literary English uh, is where it comes from. And then he currently actually works for as an editor uh, for a company out of Kansas. Um, so he's been doing that for a while now. Um, but he has his master's degree in in English nature, and uh, works as an editor currently. Um, another couple of our editors also have their master's in an English-related field um, and their certification as editors, and then they also have their own independent editorial groups as well. I have two that do that. Um, for our proofreaders, uh, they primarily function just as beta readers. They don't have any significant training in proofreading, um, but usually by the time that it gets done with the developmental edit and the copy edit, uh, we can pass it off for the proofreaders, and most of what we've done has already been cut. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for sense? people to hear that. Yeah, it makes sense. It's and I think it's important for people to hear it because there are so many small presses that have popped up in the last several years and some are good mm -hmm. and some aren't. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And I think, you know, people that listen want to know, you know, well, what's one, what, what's in it for me <laughs> and, and what can I expect? And, and those sorts of questions, yeah, valid absolutely. and important things to answer. Um, yeah, so are there I, I any, like Crimson Edge. Oh, sorry. Are there any fees associated with an author's involvement with your press? No, oh, absolutely not. No, uh, we, we try to follow as closely to a traditional model as we can. Um, so authors do not pay for any services from us. They receive royalties for the work that we do. 
Very good. And I think I read on your website that you all use uh, on-demand for printing. Yes. Uh, is that which? Who are you using for that? Uh, we go through Create Space for it, um, and we work with Amazon as well. Um, I've looked into Ingram Spark um, and Lightning Source from time to time, uh, but I've never actually went through and, and done anything with them. I've heard mixed mixed uh, responses from small presses and independent authors about using them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did um, you know about, and you probably have, I, I get emails from KDP, you know, and they mm-hmm. sent out an email, or at least I got an email last month, I think it was, that was talking about them switching to, not switching to, but adding, I should say, a print feature for the book. Yeah, um, yeah, I have looked into that. Right now they're not offering the writer the opportunity to order proof copies, which makes them a bit limited. Um, CreateSpace does that currently, and for myself, I always order a physical proof copy to look at. So I haven't actually gone the distance in making a print copy with KDP. Um, I'm kind of curious about what their direction is with that. I imagine that they're just trying mm-hmm. to solidify things a little bit more with Amazon and get everything underneath one umbrella. It, it is a struggle to have CreateSpace and KDP separated from each other. Mm-hmm. I was intrigued by it, I have to say. And the the one glitch I encountered when I went to explore it was that I had one of my books over in uh, CreateSpace, but I hadn't finished the process. And it has an ISBN that I own. And so I mm-hmm. was going to go over into KDP and, and try it over there. I kind of wanted to see what this process was all about. And my first glitch was the ISBN. I had to take it, even the limited amount of information I had in CreateSpace, I had to delete it and then go into KDP publishing platform wow. and start using it. But because there was some sort of weird disconnect, they kept saying that the ISBN didn't belong to me. And so I had to contact customer service and explain, yes, it does belong to me. So it was an interesting experiment because like you, I like to check these things out. <laughs> and I'm usually the guinea pig. So I'm like, well, let me see what this is. I have not returned to it yet, um, but I'm still intrigued to what they're going yeah, to I, do. I've actually... One of the things that we've done is we we own all of our ISBNs too, and we haven't had um, a whole lot of issues with that. It's actually been a pretty smooth process with CreateSpace. But the interesting perspective from being a small press with CreateSpace is that we publish other people's works with um, other people's names on it, clearly. And with CreateSpace, they um, demand to have documentation of your contracts before they will publish, but they don't go through that process until after you hit the publish button. So it gives you an additional step after publishing it that they then will remove it from Amazon and have you send in all your paperwork to show that you have rights to publish that novel. And then they'll put it back up again, which has always been frustrating for me that they don't have that step earlier on in the process. Yeah. It would make a lot more sense if it were earlier in the process. Yeah, I've I I talked to them several can... times about it. But... <laughs> I know where I would put that if I were them. <laughs> yep, me too. Yeah. All you need is a well, yes or no button saying, do you own this work or, you know, is this another, underneath another author name? Attach your paperwork showing that you have rights to publish it. It's a really right, easy right. edition. I mean, yeah, it'd be simple. All right, coding people, get on that. <laughs> people. <laughs> okay. So I, I wanted to be sure that we touched on your, your press because I knew, I knew that that was something you were doing and that was a, a big part of your life. I mean, outside of your social work life, a big part of your life is oh. the Crimson Edge. But I want to come back to your writing, your work. Um, 
so what other work do you are you doing? You know, you just released this one. I know you work a lot. So what's coming up? Um, I actually just finished the rough draft for a um, book called Blood and Bile, which is a co-written novel uh, with me and my brother, J.C. Boyd. Um, and it's an introduction to his dark fantasy world. Um, and I'm actually pretty excited about that. We've been working on that now for over a year and just finished it up and got it off to start getting the edits done. It is probably the darkest fantasy novel that I've written to date. So if you like dark fantasy, this is one that you're going to enjoy. And it's got a lot of remnants of um, – I'm trying to think of a good way of wording it. It's got remnants of the tone of like Beowulf. It's very old and it's a language and it's delivery. What's the storyline? Uh, the storyline is following um, one of his races. He's got four races in his world and we're looking at essentially co-writing a book for each race. The first one is the race of Thursar, which are giants in the north. They're traipsing around up there in the, giant mountains with mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and um, pterodactyls oh. and all sorts of, um, you know, prehistoric creatures. And while they're up there essentially trying to figure out how to lot, live in the cold, it's very beginning of the world type of thing, um, they are mm. infected by a hunger spirit. And the spirit, um, for lack of a better word, turns them into zombie-like creatures. Um, they go mad. Uh, they begin trying to feed on the flesh of their brethren. And when um, somebody gets bitten, they too turn into a zombie-like creature. For every pound of flesh they eat, they grow larger and larger. And when they get so big, they then vomit up spawn that will then attack more of their own kind to feed on them. That, that oh, my God. Enough? Okay. So, <laughs> yes, I, I will not be reading that. Sorry. But I'm sure other people will really enjoy it. You and I, you know, like last year during Brain to Books, uh, Cybercom, we were we were up late and we were all talking about some of this stuff. And that was, uh-huh. I think, the first time I said, you know, you really should just come on the show. But I said then, you know, I, I don't, I can't read some of this stuff. I would be up all night long if I read some of this. I, I, <laughs> you know? I don't blame you. Uh, JC and I uh, co-wrote my other book called Annerfell, which is actually a giant prelude before my series. Um, him and I both wrote that book. And I've had people comment or contact me after they finished it and said it gave them nightmares. And for me, I don't even find that book that terrifying. I mean, it just follows two (laughs) brothers that are going out to kill the God of the dead. I didn't really find a whole lot in it that would really keep me up at night. But (laughs) they gave me messages. They're like, I, I I had nightmares after finishing that book. So um, (laughs) that's that's good to know because I actually, I, I know I got a sample of that book and I, I like the style. I like the way that you guys write. And so I appreciated that, but I, I couldn't, I didn't keep reading, but it was part of the reason was because I knew I was afraid to read it <laughs> because of how my brain works. And like, I will be up all night if I read this. This is not good for me. I can't do this. So, mm-hmm. but I do, I, I need to put out there that I like the way that you guys write. And I, and as I said, I can appreciate the way that you write. I think it's really, it's tight and it's nice and stories flow. You know, the imagery is good is not the word for it. The imagery is, it's effective. That would be a good way to say that. I, I, I so very much appreciate that. And I've, I've had other readers tell me that too. They say, you know, your writing is very well done. It's exceptional. You know, it paints a great picture. I know exactly what's yeah. happening. But for some, it, it goes, it crosses a boundary for them. They're going, but I can't go to sleep after I read that. <laughs> no, see, that's me. That that would be me. And it, you know, my brain just gets too active in it. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh. 
and then it works on it and it keeps working on it. You know this. You have a social work background. Brain just yes. keeps working on it. <laughs> Can't get it to stop. So, so do you like George R. R. Martin's work? No. 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 Okay. No. <laughs> okay. I should well, do well, this. And I've had people, I, I didn't read, I've had people compare I didn't it to that. So. Well, I, I didn't read the book. I, I started to watch the, the Game of Thrones uh, series, and I watched all of them up to a certain point, and then mm-hmm. finally said, I cannot watch these anymore because it's, it's disturbing my sense of well-being. <laughs> and it was uh, desensitizing me to violence, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was why I stopped doing that. Now, reading the books may have been a totally different experience. I mean, it, actually, it would have been a totally different experience because there wouldn't have been the, the huge visual that the the other people created for me. It would have just been my head right. doing it. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, I actually haven't tried to read the books. I probably should at least try. That would, that would probably I got, be I got through half of the, I got through half of the first one and I actually really liked um, Martin's writing. I thought he was a very good writer, but I've already watched all the shows. I'm completely caught up. So I couldn't continue reading. I was like, I know what happened, which I, I know the oh. books are a little bit different, but I, I just couldn't sit there and read it. I felt like I was wasting time. Because I knew how the story unfolded. (laughs) Right. I mean, and that's kind of what my issue would be, I suppose. But I'm hoping that they didn't keep too tight. Because usually when when it becomes a a movie or some screenplay adaptation or whatever, they have to leave out a lot of stuff. So I'm assuming that they left out a lot of stuff from the the book to the... I have the same assumption as well. And, and I've heard as much from um, avid readers that there are some things that are left out, but I think the first book follows pretty closely. Hmm. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Cause even the first um, couple episodes I, I started to watch and then I got disgusted and stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and then it took me months to come back around to it and start to watch it. And then I realized, Oh, this is really desensitizing me to violence. <laughs> That's probably not healthy. Well, I know Annerfeld probably definitely falls underneath that dark fantasy category. Um, but for the Calendar series, Melkorka, Dyndair, which I know these are hard words, and Maharia, um, those three I think probably fit more underneath the high fantasy. It doesn't really get as dark as the other ones. I, maybe I should blame my brother for you know influencing some of my darker work since the real dark ones are ones that he and I co-write together. I, I'm sure you can envision this. We, we, we sit on the phone just coming up with the next worst case scenario. I'm like, yeah, let's put that in the book. So. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. Ooh, this is really going to make that, crazy. How will let's that affect? That. That's right. How will that psychologically affect our characters? How are we going to get them out of this one? Yeah. You know, I have to say, though, it must be fun to co-write something. I would love to do that with someone, uh, just work on a series. I think it would be a, a really educational experience, entertaining experience, enlightening. And that seems to be what it is with you and your brother. Yeah, I absolutely adore the process, and I have a lot of people that will contact me and ask me how in the world we co-write things together. I think that you have to find the right person to co-write. I'm blessed in this life to have a brother who has the same passion for writing as I do, Um, and he and I have created things our entire lives together. From the times we were children playing in the dirt, we were creating stories and making up games, and everything was from scratch and building rules around it and finding a way to compromise between it. So it's it's not a huge surprise that now we're together writing books and we spend, you know, a couple hours on the phone every day going back and forth through the process and putting scenes together. See, that's such a beautiful thing. I mean, that's, that to me is an awesome, that would be an awesome experience. And, you know, I have two young children who they, they've been raised as 
their best friends. They are best friends. That's the way they are. If you ask them who their best friend is, they will say, it's the other one. So they tend to want to collaborate on things too. So I hope that they end up following in your footsteps on that with how you and your brother do it. I hope my kids do that sort of thing. I think there's just amazing. It's a great value, you know, and security in that, you know, when you do it, I think you've, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I would think that you would feel a certain freedom because you're, you know this person so well that you can just sort of open yeah. up and say, oh, what about this? <laughs> yeah, and, and him and I are, um, I, I won't use any language on your show, I promise, but him and I are pretty uh, straightforward with one another. I mean, we, we let each other know what works and what doesn't work, and sometimes our language is colloquial, and we're like, no, that's just really, that's a really bad idea. And we're, we're willing to take that criticism from one another, too. So it works really well with us. I mean, we, we've known each other long enough, of course, our entire lives. But <laughs> right. we, we tell each other what works and we tell each other what doesn't work. And we're pretty straightforward about it. And we trust each other's judgment on it. You are very fortunate. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank so, you. Ju- <laughs> um, tell everybody where they can find your work, um, Crimson Edge. Just give us the, the 411. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, starting with Crimson Edge, uh, crimsonedgepress.com is our website. Really easy to navigate and get around on there. Um, Crimson Edge is also on Twitter at Crimson Edge Pub, P-U-B. Um, again, easy to find. Uh, myself, uh, the easiest place to find me is just going to robertsonwrites.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N-W-R-I-T-E-S. I use the same name for my Twitter handle as well. And you can always message me on Twitter or tag me. And I'm usually pretty quick at getting back to you because my phone is never far from me. Um, on Amazon, go- Googling my name and fantasy after it, I'm going to pop right up. You can Google me. I'm usually about the first five pages on Google. So it's really easy to find me if you have my name attached to fantasy books in any way. Um, but, yeah, that, that's pretty much the rundown. Do you have any um, specials going on, anything related to the Brain to Books Fiber Convention? I, I know my books are in the big giveaways for the Brain to Books. I'm also going to be on the fantasy chat that we're going to be doing for Brain to Books. Um, for specials, I have my first book in my series, Melkorka, M-E-L-K-O-R-K-A, uh, on sale right now for 99 cents uh, for the ebook. So you can go and grab that if you just want to get a taste of my writing and kind of delve into the series. I have the full box set of the series on Amazon right now for 5.99. Um, in regards to my sale, which is cheaper than what Amazon is offering it for right now. I put it together and made it cheaper for readers to grab. And then I also have mm-hmm. a free book on Amazon right now called The Name of Death, which is in the same world as my series. What is one, and this the last question I'm going to ask you before we go, maybe. Okay. <laughs> what's, <laughs> one, what's one tip, marketing tip, that you would give other authors? Um, you know, I have, I'll, I'll tell you two things. One, I've sold more books in my career by word of mouth than any other type of marketing that I've done. Uh, essentially, somebody reading my book, enjoying my book, and telling their friends and family about it. Um, that, that's been my best way of selling books. Um, but the number one marketing tip I would say is to build a newsletter. Um, use your newsletter as your primary source of reaching out to readers be personable, and have a um, reader survey attached to that so that when somebody signs up to your newsletter, you can immediately engage with them and ask them what their likes are, what their dislikes are, and what their expectations are from you for that newsletter. You can set up that survey easy on Google Docs, 
and you can have it be on an automatic newsletter to go out after they sign up. Nicely done. I would probably agree with those things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next time we'll probably chat is probably sometime during the Brain to Book Cyber Convention, which is the first weekend in April. Yes, it's going to be very busy that. for both of us, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Not as busy for me this time because I this is what I'm doing <laughs> this time. And, and then everything else, I'm just kind of like, what's going on? I'm doing more of an observer type of role this time, only because I'm in school right now and I'm super caught up in that at the moment. <laughs> I don't envy you. I don't envy I don't envy me. I don't miss school. <laughs> what? You, no PhD? No. No, no I, I got my, yeah, I, I don't think I'll go back to school. I was pretty bored when I was there. <laughs> Seriously? But, uh, that's probably a whole other talk for us at another time. But no, uh, school <laughs> for me was a lot of busy work. <laughs> oh, Okay, okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. But you have a, a very intriguing background to me, actually, because of what you do. And anyway, people, go check him out and check out his books. They're over on Amazon, and I'm sure they're in other places like, you know, Kobo and Art Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere good books are sold, great books are sold, you'll probably find Joshua Robinson's books and what he's done with his brother. So, Joshua, thank you so much for being with me on Backport Writer today. All right. Thanks for having me, Corey. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. So, as I said, go over to Amazon, check it out, or Kobo, wherever you want to you know, peruse for books, go there, and then look for Joshua's Dark Fantasies. Uh, as I said, I appreciate how he writes. I like the writing. I like the style. For me, the subject matter is challenging. That's, that's all it is. That's a personal thing. But in terms of a writer, he's a good writer. So go check him out. If you have any questions, of course, you could send him a message over on Twitter at Robertson Writes. So check that out. I'm sure he'll respond, as he says, right away. Thank you for joining me here on Back Porch Writer. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit the spell, and write. Thanks for listening to Back Porch Writer. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe via iTunes so people just like you can find the show. If you've got comments, questions, or want to be a guest, visit BackPorchWriter.com for details. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit a spell, and write. <laughs>